reading from Peter, chapter 1, verse 22, to chapter 2, verse 5. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty Father, will you grant us your grace uh, to hear your word. And Father, um, all of us come to your word with, uh, from different places. We're, we're struggling in various ways, and uh, we have doubts, we have joys, we have, some of us have a high confidence in you, some of us have a, a pretty skeptical place uh, with respect to you. Some of you, some of us don't even know if, if we're really talking to anybody when we pray. Um, but you know where we're all coming from. You know us better than we know ourselves. And so will you work in us by your Holy Spirit? And will you uh, overcome our obstacles, overcome, address our questions, and draw us by this message, by your word, by the scriptures, into a true and living and transforming relationship with you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Um, can you turn back in your service sheets or in the Bible uh, to 1 Peter? We're going to be focusing on 1 Peter. If you're looking at a Bible, 1 Peter is towards the back uh, of the Bible. I can't give you a page number because all the editions are different. Um, but you can look at it on your service sheet. We're going to be looking at the first half of that reading. Um, and here's basically what I want to show you. Uh, Jesus... Here, here, here's the big point, big reveal. Jesus wants to feed us. And he wants to feed us uh, a little bit like a mother feeds her infant. And Jesus wants to feed us, what I want to show you, by speaking to us through this thing called his word. Now, um, as I say it like that, it, it's really simple, which is great. But um, I think it's really important for us. Um, uh, many years ago, uh, I spent four days in the wilderness without food. Uh, I do not recommend it. It was a terrible experience. It was meant to be like a really like life-changing rite of passage or something. It was terrible. Um, but one of the things that struck me in these four days, I'll tell you the story some other time, but uh, one of the things that struck me very quickly is um, how rapidly Jim fell apart. I just went to pieces. Um, as hunger increased, and as my isolation increased, because I was all alone, I just fell apart. 
And looking back on it, I can kind of laugh at myself because like I said, it was this weird rite of passage for my college. Um, and I wasn't really in danger because every now and then somebody popped in and kind of peeked over, over a rock and made sure I was still alive. So, but as hunger increased and as aloneness closed in on me over these days, my strength fell apart. Uh, my mind went haywire. My emotions were all over the place. I fell apart. And I found out that I am uh, quite a bit more fragile than I thought I was. I went into the wilderness thinking, hey, I'm, a, I'm strong. I'll make this work. And ends up, ends up I was terrible. Um, if I don't get things like food and relationships with other people, I fall apart. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because as I've been reflecting and talking to some of you um, about just kind of what we're all going through right now, it feels just a little bit like that. Here's what I mean. I think some of us are finding out that we are a little bit more fragile than we originally thought. This might, might, not, might not be true for you, but for a lot of us, we're feeling crushed. Uh, some of us are being crushed by our work. Some of us are being crushed by no work. Some of us are gripped with fear because it feels like uh, some of the things that we rely on are about ready to fall apart. We could lose everything. And some of us are crushed because we're trying to do not quite homeschooling, but like crisis schooling or whatever we're supposed to call it right now. Um, and for many of us, there's this kind of undercurrent of grief. Can you recognize that? For a lot of us, we're finding out that we're fragile. We've got hungry souls, we've got lonely hearts, and we really need what it is that this reading tells us. And here's what this reading tells us. Jesus wants to feed us like a mother feeds her infant. Look at chapter two, verse two. It says this, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it, you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, remember the context. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been talking about 1 Peter, and we found out that Peter, the apostle of Jesus, uh, the, one of the first disciples of Jesus, is writing to a bunch of Christians who are uh, experiencing terrible suffering. And Peter's been saying briefly something like this. Christians, in the midst of your suffering, I want you to look at Jesus. It's as if Peter says, I want you to look at Jesus and look at how he died and rose again, because when you look at him and especially his resurrection, you'll find that he gives you a hope that really nothing in this life can destroy for forever. Now that's super brief, but that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. You can go and listen to the recordings if you'd like. But now he adds something to that message. And he says this, Christian, I know that it's really hard to hold on to that hope that I've been talking about. It's as if Peter says, I know that your hope in Jesus needs to be re renewed day by day, moment by moment, and breath by breath. Otherwise, we just lose sight of it, of that hope. It's as if Peter says, listen, you're not strong on your own. Maybe you've been told that you're strong, but, but you're not actually designed to be strong on your own. You need to be fed just like a newborn baby needs to be fed. And Peter says, Jesus has just the thing for you. He feeds you like a mother feeds her infant and he feeds you, he gives you renewed hope again and again through 
his word. Therefore, desire the milk of God's word. And what I want to say today is that that is part of the medicine that we need, Emmanuel, to get through what we're going through right now and to uh, address our fragile hearts. Now, let me flesh that out a little bit. And in order to do that, I want you to think of the word of God or the voice of Jesus. We'll explain what we mean by that in just a second. I want you to imagine the word of God as like a very unique kind of food and a unique kind of milk to sustain you like it sustains a newborn baby. And one of the ways that the word of God is a very unique kind of food is this. The word of God is filled with an enduring life even when everything else dies around us. What in the world do you mean by that, Jim? Well, let me explain. Look at the, the passage and look at verse 24. Chapter one, verse 24. Peter says this, all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. Now, the apostle Peter is quoting the Old Testament and he's quoting the book of Isaiah. And in its original context, when it talks about the flower falling and the, and the uh, grass dying, it's dealing and describing a terribly grim scenario. In the original context from Isaiah, Israel was suffering the worst disaster it had ever experienced up until that point. We call it the exile and the exile with like a capital E. And what it means is that Israel had been conquered. Uh, the government had fallen apart. The religious life had fallen apart. The economy had fallen apart. And everything around Israel, especially in Jerusalem, everything beautiful was withering like the grass in the middle of a summertime heat wave. And there was death and grief and there was hopelessness and there was trauma. There's another book of the Bible that gives um, a, a kind of a close-up view on what the experience was like. It's called the Book of Lamentations. We think it was written by uh, Jeremiah. And it sort of zooms in on this experience of horrendous disaster. And the opening scene in uh, the Book of Lamentations uh, says this. And see if this, uh, if you can identify with this. The opening uh, word of Lamentation says, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. Um, how lonely are the streets that just recently were full of people. And the image in the book of Lamentations is that Jeremiah is sitting there in the middle of Jerusalem and Jerusalem has been devastated. And in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah, through his poetry, just begins to scream with grief. Scream with grief. Because everything beautiful has been dead. And he says, in chapter 3, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction. And then he starts talking about God. And he says, God has made my teeth to grind like gravel. And then he says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has failed, says Jeremiah. My endurance has failed. And so is my hope in the Lord. It's all dead with all other beautiful things. 
Now, stop here. Why am I telling you Jeremiah's depressing story? <laughs> well, because look back at our reading in 1 Peter. When it talks about the flower fading or the grass withering, there's, there's a temptation. It's possible for that to sound hokey, right? Um, roses are red, violets are blue, but the word of God remains forever. And we just kind of go, whatever. No. I want you to see that that image, the grass withering and the flower falling, that was penned by a people who were living through the hell of a world in which all beautiful things had died. And Jeremiah is sitting in the midst of that and he's hungry and he's alone and everything's gone. But now look back at our reading from one Peter. In first Peter, he says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And I want to push back just a little bit there. And I want to say, really? Re does it? In what way does the word of the Lord remain forever? And how does that work for a soul exhausted man like Jeremiah? Well, go back to Lamentations. Because in Lamentations, Jeremiah says this, my soul continually remembers my affliction and it is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Now, stop there because this is a critical moment. The thing that Jeremiah says just next is going to be totally odd, but it's the key it's the key to grasping how it is that the word of the Lord remains forever, how it stays alive when everything else dies and why it's the perfect thing we need to be fed with in the midst of a world where beautiful things die. Watch what happens next. Jeremiah says, I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Ready? He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says Jeremiah. Therefore, I will have hope in him. Now, can you see and hear just the ridiculous shift that takes place? What explains that shift? Well, let me try to describe it like this. I want you to imagine a, a, an empty uh, art studio with a big black canvas in front. And Jeremiah is sitting on the floor looking at this big blank, or rather black canvas. There's no color, it's empty of all beauty. But then Jeremiah on the floor, he picks up the word of God, the Bible. And he starts to read and he starts to remember. He knows the Bible, so he knows these stories. They've, he's heard them before, but he begins to read them again and hear them again and remember them again. And all the stories come flooding back to his mind. And he thinks about creation, the creation of the world in the book of Genesis and how God creates like an artist. He crafts the beauty of the world and he pushes back and God looks at the beauty that he's made and he says, that's good. And as Jeremiah reads this story and remembers what God did, all of a sudden on the black canvas, he sees a stroke of color. He didn't put it there. And then Jeremiah keeps reading. And he thinks of 
all the stories about how humanity rebels against God. And, and he begins to see through the Bible, he begins to see his own heart and the heart of every human and how we love, we don't want to admit this, but, but there's parts of us that loves injustice when it is to our own benefit. And we love cruelty. I know we would never admit it, but when, when we feel cruel, we love it. And we love to kind of reject and hate God. We never say it that way, but we love to run our own lives. And that rolls down into injustice and cruelty and hatred towards God and enmity towards each other. And Jeremiah remembers this because he can see it in the stories. But then he also remembers how the Lord again and again in all of these stories, he, the Lord is always seeking out the guilty like a shepherd seeks out lost sheep. And he, God always holds out an offer of reconciliation to them. And as Jeremiah reads these stories and remembers them, all of a sudden more color appears on the blank black canvas. And then Jeremiah remembers the Exodus and how God liberates Israel from Egypt and more color happens on the canvas. And then Jeremiah finally gets to this book of the Psalms and he sees and hears how generation after generation has met God again and again, often primarily in grief and pain. And the more Jeremiah reads these stories and the more these stories flood his mind, then all of a sudden he looks up at the canvas and he sees not only, he doesn't see a black canvas anymore, he sees color. And not only does he see color, he sees a face. And it's a face he did not paint. It's a face he could not invent. It is a face painted, a portrait painted by the word of God. And it is a portrait of God himself. And as Jeremiah looks at this newly painted portrait, he sees God's mercy and his steadfast love and his mercy. He just sees and is overcome with unconquerable mercy. And as he sits there, he realizes that all of a sudden, he's not just reading a story that's outside him. He realizes that in a way he's fallen into the book, that he is actually inside and part of this story of God's mercy, chasing down people who want to run away from God. And he realizes that even in his pain, he is being met by God himself. And therefore, despite all the pain, which is still there, don't imagine that it's not, it is, but he realizes that he is looking into the face of the source of unconquerable hope. Friends, the word of the Lord remains forever, even when all other beautiful things die. And the reason that's true is the Lord himself remains forever and his mercy and his character and his power and his justice and his love, they don't die. In fact, they are more powerful and they come to us very often, primarily and at first, in our darkest place. It's through the word of God that the Lord shows us his face. Now, keep that in your mind and go back to 1 Peter. Because the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word of the Lord maintains life even when everything else dies. But the word of the Lord is also able to impart its life to us. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, You have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. Now, do you remember we've talked about being born again? 
Uh, do you remember what that means? Well, in your mind, go back to Jeremiah in that art studio looking at the, the canvas. Now imagine that we could get into that image and sit down on the floor next to Jeremiah. Um, and we could continue the story beyond where Jeremiah got to. We could continue the story into the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. What would happen is as we read the New Testament, that painting would begin to grow. Uh, Jeremiah could see something of God's face, but if we keep on reading, the, the story grows and therefore the painting grows to fill out that added story. And we would find ourselves, as we read the New Testament, not just looking at the same face that Jeremiah is, but it would become bigger and we would find ourselves looking at a man hanging upon the cross. Same face. But it's the face of a man who's hanging on a cross. And we would be looking at the face of Jesus Christ. And the more we look at him as he presents himself in the scripture, it would all of a sudden dawn on us that God in Christ had entered into our worst darkness. He had entered into the hell that we're experiencing. He has experienced personally what it is for all beautiful things to die. In fact, he's experienced what it is for him to die. He experienced infinite suffering and he did it for a purpose. We would see that he did that so that the door could be opened, so that God's enemies could be adopted into his family. And one of the many things that that means, we would realize that we are looking at a God whom we can trust because he's been in the pain. And then we would hear his voice, his voice speaking to us as a shepherd. And he would speak to us from the cross and he would say right to every one of us, he would call us by name and he would say, I am your real shepherd. Listen to my voice, trust me, come to me. I gave my life for you and I gave my life so that you could have my life and have it to the abundance, to the full. And as we watched that scene unfold, then we would see that the image changes. And no longer are we looking at a man upon a cross. Now we're looking at Jesus Christ, really alive, risen from the dead, risen and reigning forever, and holding out to us the offer of an unconquerable hope. And that, friends, stop. That, friends, is the critical moment. Just like Jeremiah, there's a critical moment. Now this is the critical moment for us when the word of God is just ready to impart spiritual life to us. Do you remember how spiritual life begins? We talked about it a few weeks ago. What happens is we see Jesus and we see him offering us real hope through his death and his resurrection. Hope that nothing in this world can conquer. His victory over death can be ours. His death bought reconciliation with God and adoption into God's family. But it's crucial we must consent to that adoption. We must divest ourselves of all hope in this world, it's falling apart anyway. And we must invest all our final fundamental hope in Christ alone. And the word of God holds out that hope to us. And when we say yes and consent, then Jesus finalizes our adoption. God becomes our father. The spirit uh, surrounds us with God's fatherly affection and we become born again spiritually. The word of God 
is alive even when other beautiful things die. And the word of God is a nourishment that can impart life to us. Or put differently, the word of God calls us to long for the pure spiritual milk. What that means is, Emmanuel, this text is calling us to be a people who crave the milk that Jesus gives, just like a little baby craves her mother's milk. And that image of craving, it's an image of constant longing and desiring deeply the word of God. Now, for some of us on this call, um, you have not yet entered a living, animating relationship with Jesus Christ. He's kind of a distant figure, maybe somebody that you respect, but not somebody who animates your life. And let me say this, I know it sounds audacious, but that's okay. Jesus wants to give you spiritual life. And what I want to encourage you to do is take it, read the primary text. Read, for instance, the Gospel of Luke. It'll tell you the story of Jesus's life. Read his story, just like Jeremiah was reading the Bible in that, in that imaginary scene that we were uh, thinking about. Read Jesus's life and then ask Jesus to give you spiritual life. It'll feel weird. That's okay. Do it anyway, because you will find yourself in the long line, millions and billions strong of people who have, their life had been utterly transformed because they found themselves in the story with Jesus and in Jesus's story. Now, others of us uh, know Christ and have known Christ for a long time, but we're starving for milk. Um, do you remember what I said about being in the woods with no food? It's terrible because you find out that you're a fragile person. At least I am. Uh, take away food, take away other people, and I go crazy physically, psychologically, emotionally. But the same is true spiritually. Some of us are spiritually starved and your soul goes haywire when that happens. Look at chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 1. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Now, those sins, uh, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, envy, those are sins of a starving soul. See, it goes like this. When I refuse God's word, or I kind of assume that, hey, listen, I know it already, and I've been over that, and I'm sick of people telling me to go back to those stories. I kind of set it aside. Because there's more urgent things, there's more relevant things for me to do. What happens is uh, I'll stop watching the beauty of Jesus emerge. I'll just kind of pause on that and it'll start to deteriorate. And I'll increasingly hope in myself and in things in this world because I got to hope in something. But the problem is all those things will eventually fail me. And I'll have to grasp on to control in my life. And that will make my soul go haywire. I'm starving spiritually. So I'll start to envy other people because it seems like everybody has something better than me. Why does it work out for them? And then I'll start deceiving other people and I'll become a hypocrite because I need to keep presenting myself as doing well. I gotta keep my profile looking good. And then eventually I'll become malicious because I'll resent the other people in my life because they're always getting in my way. They're always an obstacle to what I'm trying to pursue in my life. Other people will become a threat to me and I'll increasingly become malicious. And then that malicious heart will eventually reach out and I'll become malicious towards God and my isolation will increase. I'm spiritually starving. 
And that's what sin is, by the way. Sin, one way to think about it, is sin is a hunger strike of pride. We protest against God, we rely on ourselves, but it kills us if we keep going. So Emmanuel, are you starving? Look at your soul. Can we sit with Jeremiah in front of that canvas? Because here's what'll happen. As you open up the scriptures, as you hear again Jesus's voice, Jesus will come and he will give you an IV of nutrients. And Jesus will come to you, your shepherd, the voice, you'll recognize his voice again. And you'll hear him say, crave for my milk, crave my word. It's good news. Desire my milk. I have never left you alone, Jesus will say to you. I will feed you like a mother feeds her infant. I will pour out my word into your starving soul. And then as you look at the canvas, you'll look as the blackness is filled with color and you'll see the face of Jesus Christ. And then you will see him on the cross for you, for your eternal salvation, to undo the isolation and bind you together with God as your father, to fill out your soul with nutrients so that you are never alone. And he will say to you, you will never be alone when you're with Christ. And then you will see Jesus Christ risen and reigning and you'll be looking into the eyes of your eternal hope. And that's when you will taste and see that the Lord is good and that he is your satisfaction for forever. So crave the pure spiritual milk. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.